My name is David Wing, and I've had the honor of pastoring the Dover Foursquare Church for almost 25 years. We have targeted our gatherings to minister to the Lord, the saints, and the world. First, through singing, praise, and receiving the word, we pursue ministering to Him. Second, we pursue interactive involvement with each person present. Fellowship before and after the service helps, but each believer must be personally involved if he is to become equipped to fulfill his role as an agent of Jesus in life's marketplace. We want to be a congregation that gives place to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to be a congregation committed to the systematic and edifying teaching of God's Word. We want to be a congregation devoted to the exercise of Holy Spirit-inspired worship. It is our prayer that the message you hear today will assist you in realizing the possibilities God has for you and that your journey with him will be one of abundance. Open your Bibles to Matthew 13 verse 9 and uh, the, the theme that God has put on my heart for today and I'm going to see how we're able to, to bring it out is uh, having ears to hear and we're talking about the ability to be able to hear God's word in Matthew 13 and verse 9. This is an expression that Jesus uses here. In Matthew 13, verse 9, Jesus says very simply, now this is the time when he's speaking parables to the people, which is interesting. We'll get to that in just a minute. Why don't you read this with me? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's interesting. How many have ears to hear today? (laughs) I guess that means we're all supposed to hear. But there's something in these words that Jesus is speaking here. And that's that this word, and of course the very first parable, in fact Jesus makes it clear to his disciples after telling this first parable, he says, if you don't get this parable, you won't understand the other ones. And in this very first parable that Jesus tells, it's the parable of the sower and the seed. Well, what does a seed represent? Represents the word. And I want you to understand today that this, this Bible is a precious book. Did you bring yours with you today? <laughs> well, if you come to Good News Bear, they give you prizes for bringing your Bible. You see? That's what that's all about. But this is a precious book. And it's not just because it's nice words and nice ideas, there's something alive in these words. You know, you can take any verse in here and read it, but the difference is, when we're talking about hearing the word, it's the difference between a voice and a word. You see, we can read something, but whenever the Holy Spirit blows upon this word, it becomes alive. We all know the verse that he's, God, God says, I am thy healer, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee by thy stripes. You are healed. And that's a nice word. We say, I I believe that. Amen. God, what is it they used to say? God says it. I believe it. And yeah, you guys know that or not? Let's try it again. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Okay. But it's not just a matter of having it up here. But when the Holy Spirit breathes on those words, something happens. Life. When we receive that living word, something happens inside of us. You know, one testimony I like to share about that is just with our own daughter, Kezia. When we moved to Houston, there was a little puppy that came and decided he was going to adopt us. And uh, we couldn't let it go. And the, the problem, is a cute little dog. We still have him with us today. We brought him all the way from Houston. 
Doesn't, you know, she doesn't like the, uh, she doesn't like the cold. She's a Houston dog, so she shivers all the time. But, but, but my daughter Kezia, I mean, all my girls, they, they love, my, my children, they love the dog, but my daughter Kezia was so afraid of this dog. We never seen her, seen anyone get so afraid. And we just, we didn't force her to get with the dog. We didn't do any of that, but we realized she had a problem. In fact, when we come home, she would run up into her room, make sure the dog wasn't, doesn't see her. One time she ran so fast, she boom, banged into a wall and fell down. She just just a, a panic filled her. I'd never seen any child get so afraid of a dog. So we never forced her to, to get around the dog, but we realized fear was a problem. And the verse that... <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. The verse that we shared uh, with our daughter was Second Timothy, verse chapter one, verse seven, and we just began to speak it to her. We said, "God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind." And so we would say that to her and speak that to her, <clears throat> and um, didn't really see much change. But we spoke it in faith. We're just asking, just depositing that word in her heart. After a few months, one day we came home and we were trying to make sure we got the dog put away before she went in the house. All the things we had to do every, every time we came back to the house, we had to do all this. We began doing this. But this time, she just ran right up to the dog and took the dog and began playing with it. And I said, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> I said, how could that happen? How could she just all of a sudden change like that? She says, Daddy, I'm not afraid anymore. I don't know what happened. How many know, how many know what happened? There's power in the word. It wasn't a matter of us helping her to get over this problem. We just taught her the word. We put the word inside of her. And that word suddenly became alive. You see? When God breathes on that word, it becomes alive. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this morning, uh, or this past week in in preparation, is that, that one of the signs, at least to me, you oftentimes wonder, well, was a person really saved? Have they really been born again? Well, you could say, well, by, your, by their fruits, you know them. But how many know there's a lot of people out there that aren't saved, that aren't Christians, that have fruits? There are some people out there that do better than some of us here, right? We <laughs> say, how can that be? Well, it's true. Fruit is important. Sometimes fruit can be deceptive. We don't know what it really tastes like. It looks like the real fruit. We don't really know what's inside of it. But I would say, at least in my experience, one of the clearest evidences that a person is born again is that this word is a living word to them. It's alive. It's real. When you talk to someone sharing the word, their eyes are open to see it. And there was one man, a story of one man. I, I could actually very much relate to this. But this one man, he had been in a church, kind of been in a church for many years, always sitting kind of in the back and hearing the messages all the time. And finally, one day, this man gets saved. And he had read the Bible before, but all of, after he got saved, he went home and opened up the Bible. The next day, he came to the pastor's office, knocked on the door. He said, Pastor, who rewrote the Bible? <laughs> and I could, I could say that was my experience after being, after being born again. After that seed, the living word came inside, that was one of the first experiences I had, is that this word was alive. 
it really also, and the challenge of that was one of the first things I had to face as a, as a, as a baby Christian. I was challenged one time, is this really God's word or not? And uh, for a while, I was thrown for a loop. And I thought, maybe it's just a book written by men. How do we know it's God's word? Well, there's all kinds of proof, the Dead Sea Scrolls and all of that. And I remember one time I was given a Bible study about how we know this is the word of God because of this proof and that archaeological find and all those things. And afterwards, an old, an old man came up to me. He had been saved for many, many years. He, goes, he said, you know, you don't need any of that proof to know this is God's word. You just need to know the author. <laughs> when you know the author, you know whose word it is. And this is a living, <clears throat> a living book. This word is how we get saved. In fact, if you read in the, you know, we have this modern theology of things and modern gospel, things that we're so accustomed to. It's not, some of this is not even in the Bible. For instance, the idea of asking Jesus into your heart to be your personal savior. That's actually an awesome way to pray and surrender to God. You don't find that in the book of Acts at all. You don't see anything about asking Jesus into your heart. What you do see is, as many as received the word, they were saved. Everything was based on whether they received the word or not. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, you don't need to look at it, but it says that we are born again by the living and abiding word of God. The way that we're born again, see, it's not a matter, being saved or being a Christian has nothing to do with our works, has nothing to do with how we live. That's, that comes afterwards. The very first thing we need is that new life inside. And that comes by receiving that seed. That seed needs to enter in and then another life begins to form inside of us. It's a new life that begins to form there and it needs to grow. It's not a matter of sitting in church and eventually learning how to be a Christian or learning how to do right things. There's, haven't you met somebody saying, I just can't change? I've been like this all the time. I, I have this problem in my life. I just can't get over it. Well, in the natural, that's the way we are. We can't change certain things in our life. But when the word of God comes, when we're born again, the entrance of that word brings a new life inside of us. And by the way, who is the word of God? John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. This word is a living word. It's written down for us to see it, but it's a living word. Our relationship with the word is the first thing that changes when we're born again. It's our Father's word. But I want to show you a second way that in our relationship, and our journey of relationship to God's word, there's a second experience that to me is just awesome. And, and in Romans chapter 6, it's all about water baptism. Now, sometimes we only hear about water baptism when we have a baptismal service, but you know what? Paul wrote Romans chapter 6 not to people that needed to be baptized. He wrote it to people that were already baptized. And he said, don't you know what happened to you? When, in Romans 6, verse 3, it says, Know ye not that as many as you have been buried, baptized have been buried with Christ. You've been baptized into Jesus Christ? I can see it from back there, so I'm cheating. I got my teleprompter back there, okay? 
Or do you not know that as many as of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4. Oh, I love verse 4. Can you read this with me? Romans 6, verse 4. There we go. I love it. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Why do we bury people in the water? It's, it's a burial is what it is. What it really happens in water baptism, is it just come some kind of ceremonial thing that, that we have to do? It's part of the Great Commission. Isn't it right? It's part of the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all men, baptizing them. Because there's something unique that happens in water baptism. And I want to show with you today that what happens through water baptism affects our relationship to the word. Water baptism is a burial of of, of our body. We're born into this world sinners. Our body is an instrument of sin. In water baptism, we make the decision to be buried with Christ. We're burying this body of sin. And when we rise up, we rise up in newness of life. There's a new life inside, and now that life is going to be manifested in our body. In water baptism, I like to look at water baptism actually as the very first step of obedience for a Christian. How did man become sinner by nature? By one little act of disobedience. That's all it was. She took that fruit. Ah, oh, that Eve, it's all her fault, right? <laughs> she took that fruit. How do we reverse that nature of sin? Through one act of obedience, water baptism. But let me show you a unique comparison here in Hebrews chapter 10. And I sincerely can relate to this in my own experience also. Um, the summer of 1976, when I gave my life to Christ, I experienced salvation. The Bible became alive to me. But the day I got back, a few months later, when I was baptized in water and also received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, something awesome began to happen with this word. Something began to bubble inside when I would read. It would be a brand new experiences for me. But Hebrews 10, if you look, starting with verse <clears throat> Hebrews 10, starting with verse, uh, verse 5. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 5. And this is referring to Jesus. It says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Read this last part with me. This is Jesus speaking now. But a body you have prepared for me. Okay, next verse. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do your will, O God. In water baptism, we're giving our body to do the will of God. That's the purpose of it. We're burying the body of sin that our body can now be given to do the will of God. Now, this is in Hebrews. Now, literally, this is being quoted from Psalms. If you turn with me to Psalms 40, In Psalm 40, this is where this is quoted from, and there's a very unique difference. In fact, if you like, or if you have your Bibles open to it, you can kind of compare Hebrews 10 to Psalm 40, and you'll see something very unique. Something actually changed in the text of the Scripture. And of course, the Holy Spirit can do that, can't he? 
And so Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 40, but there's one very important difference in how it's being quoted. Psalm 40, again, we'll start with verse verse 6. Psalm 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. What's the next part say? That's not what it says in Hebrews. If you compare it, it doesn't say anything about ears. It says a body you've prepared for me. And I come to do thy will. Here it says, my ears have you opened. Oh, I love in the margin of my Bible, in the King James translation I have, it says, mine ears hast thou digged. (laughs) How many have Q-tips at home? If not, we'll buy some for you. Don't worry about it. But, you know, this is what it's talking about. My ears have thou digged. And, And what I believe takes place in water baptism is our ears are opened in a a unique way. And one of the reasons is because we're given our bodies to do His will. In water baptism, there's that desire all of a sudden, as we surrender to Him, God puts something brand new inside, a willingness to want to follow God. And an ability, our ears are unplugged. The, 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 the wax, you know, I don't know how much wax is in our ears sometimes. We've got to get it out. Spiritual ears, it's taken out and we can begin to hear the word in a different way. Water baptism is a powerful experience. A lot could be said about that. Just the fact that it's part of the Great Commission makes it important. But a third experience is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I'd like us to look in John chapter 16. And Jesus told his disciples, now he told him to go. In Matthew 28, he says, go into all the world. But he told him just before he went up to heaven, that, that's the, he, they had to go into all the world, but they needed to wait in Jerusalem. They needed to wait in Jerusalem for something unique to happen in their lives. He said, go to Jerusalem, and you need to wait there until you're clothed upon with power from on high. And he was referring to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people think that the power that he was referring to was the power to do miracles and signs and wonders. Well, the Holy Spirit does give us power to do that, but how many of you realize that there were already, they were already casting out demons before Pentecost? Did you know that? The disciples were praying for the sick before Pentecost because the anointing of the Holy Spirit was there. Now, the real power that they needed wasn't just this anointing to do miracles. It was the power of a transformed life inside, a power that would make them witnesses by their very lives. Powerful experience. Jesus explained that when the Holy Spirit comes, and this is that experience, when the, Baptist, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us at that experience, suddenly he begins speaking to us. It says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he, will, he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. In verse 14, Read this with me. This is, and this is what the Holy Spirit's come to do. What will he, what's Jesus say? He, that's the Holy Spirit now, okay? He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. What happens in, that, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us, he begins to take of Jesus and show it unto us. Show it unto us. Reveal it unto us where it's no longer just knowing about Jesus. Now we get to know our bridegroom and we get to fall in love with him in a whole new way. 
Oh, that's an important experience. In fact, it brings us into what I would call the the church thing. Turn with me to Revelations chapter 2. The ability to hear the word. In Revelations chapter 2 and 3, um, there are, it's the message to the seven churches. And these seven churches were basically local churches. And I would like to explain today that there is a difference between the church, which is the body of Christ, and churches, plural, or church families. See, we're not, here in Dover Forest Group, we are not the church. We're just a church family that's part of the bigger corporate church, the body of Christ. And these are messages written to seven different churches. And it's very interesting what's written here. Each message starts off by saying, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, or to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. And it goes, there's seven churches listed here. The word angel could be translated messenger. So basically, it's just a message that's being given to the person of that church that's going to give the message. And that person needed to hear that word and then share it. And the very next thing that happens is in, in these verses is Jesus reveals something about him. Something about Jesus is being revealed. And that revelation that Jesus, or what it is about Jesus that's being revealed to that church, the purpose of that is when the church grasps that revelation of Christ, things change in their life. Things change. If you have any problems, any situations in your life, the answer is in Christ. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And if you read through it towards the end, it says this in verse 7. He who has an ear, this is Roman, Revelations 2, verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. This whole church thing that we're involved in, it's not just a matter of coming and hearing something nice. It's a matter of hearing, what is the Lord speaking to us? What does the Lord want to say to us? I think it's one way I try to relate to this a little bit is that suppose Mr. Smith was a member of the Ephesian church, but that Sunday he just happened to be visiting a cousin over in the, Philippian, over in the Philadelphia church. He heard an awesome message over there. He said, wow, I heard a great message here at the Philadelphia church. Awesome. Maybe called up some of his friends and said, hey, it's a good message I heard over here in Philadelphia. You should have been here. But was that the message for him? Well, it was a good message, a good word. But what family did he belong to? The Ephesian church. And it was important for him, the food, the spiritual food that he needed was back in Ephesus. Think about that just for a minute. You're here on purpose, aren't you? Not by accident. And you're here to hear. You're here to, you're here to hear. That sounds funny. Isn't it? Okay. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. How many know that Jesus is coming back soon? Right? He's coming back real soon. The rapture. He's coming back for his church. And I think you've all understood that, the, the, and I think even on uh, Wednesday nights, uh, uh, 
Don Anderson's been teaching on this. And one of the things we understand about the rapture is that it's going to be swift and sudden and quick and secret. Now, one man challenged me about that. He says, well, if it's going to be a secret rapture, why is there so much noise associated with it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you look at verse 16, look at all the... This is referring to the rapture, when we're going to be caught up. Rapture simply means to be caught up. Look what happened. Here's the rapture. Let's read this verse together. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So you see a shout, a voice of an arch, the archangel, the trump of God. Doesn't that sound pretty noisy to you? But not everybody's going to hear that, are they? You see? God is speaking. He's always speaking. Help me out right now. If, is there a television show that's on right Sunday mornings that you know about? Television show? Sunday morning. Sunday morning what? Huh? We're always here. That's good. (laughs) That was a safe answer. (laughs) Whatever shows on, suppose there's some favorite Western, you know, series that comes on Sunday morning. Who knows? What I wanted to explain is that right now, that, that TV show is going right through here, isn't it? It's playing right now, isn't it? In fact, radio stations, it's playing right now. Can you hear it? Can you, what do you need to be able to hear it? You need a receiver, that's right. This is what God is developing in our lives, is that ability to hear. And I think Sunday mornings, really, at least along with our other services, is practice for hearing that trumpet sound. I don't want to miss it, how about you? I want to hear that trumpet sound. How many have... By the way, there will not be any snooze controls on the trumpet sound. You can't come... My wife says... My wife, she... I use my phone for an alarm, you know, and and I have like five alarms that go off and, you know, each one has a snooze set for three minutes and I'm like this all, you know, for hour, hour and a half. She says, would you just get out of bed? Well, there's not going to be any snooze control on that. On that, Holy, uh, on that Holy Ghost trumpet and sounds and all that's taking place. It's just that one opportunity. Now's the time to hear what God is speaking. You know, if you go back to Matthew 13, and this is a very interesting topic in itself, and where Jesus says, having ears to hear, and he tells the story, the parable of the sower and the seed. And he says something very interesting in Matthew 13, verse 9. We'll start with verse 9 again, and we'll go down a few verses. I just want you to see this. And this, uh, there's a lot that can be developed just with these few thoughts here. We don't have the time on a Sunday morning to get into it, but, but um, our relationship to God's word is vital. It's vital. It's so easy just to come to church on Sundays and hear the message and, and forget it. I was studying a little bit about the idea of, of, of memory because and, and, uh, we, we, we homeschool our children and, and uh, 
just trying to help them to memorize things, but one of the greatest things that our children can memorize is scripture. Can you say amen? amen? One thing that's just not used much, even in schools and education, is this idea of reciting. Years ago, you, just, you would recite things over and over and over again to learn it. Nowadays, it's like, you know, I hope you get it, you know, kind of a thing. But reciting things. And I have a study that say, they say that, that we, remember, we remember 20% of what we hear. We remember 30% of what we see. Basically, we remember 50% of what we see in here. Now, listen to this. We remember 70% of what we hear, see, and speak. When you speak it out, retention changes. In fact, they've done some research, and one of the ways they found, I don't know whether they use this in schools, I think it's a great idea, I've done it myself and, and have my children doing it, but they say that the, one of the most successful ways they've found for kids to be able to retain things is if those children are allowed to teach someone else what they've learned. When you take what you've heard and you teach it to someone else, when the children, when they learn a little concept, they say, no, you go teach it to this person. And they take it, and t- even my daughter Priscilla, she says, Daddy, goes, she says, that's right. I remember I was teaching, Ke- my, my Kezia's her younger sister, I, I was teaching Kezia something, and it seems like I, I can't forget now what I, was, what I had already learned. Something was done down deep inside of me. I think that's the benefit of our home groups. What do you think? Opportunity to take what you've heard, especially if you're taking the Sunday messages. You're taking those words and you're sharing it again with someone else. Guess what happens? Things develop inside. When things go from, they say, uh, psychologists and uh, scientists, they say that when when things go from our short-term memory back into long-term memory, it's called encoding. Ooh, don't I sound professional? I went to my daughter yesterday. I said, hey, I, you know, I wanna, did you know about this encoding, encoding thing of long-term, short-term memory? Encoding. Because, Dad, I've heard about that so much. So, well, thought I had a new one on her, but now she's you know, a college kid and all that. So. But encoding, it comes to long-term memory. And so the, the hearing, seeing, speaking, teaching others, 70% of retention 90%, listen to this, 90% if you hear, see, speak, and do. <laughs> Doesn't that what the Bible says? Don't be forgetful hearers, but effectual doers. I was thinking of, you know, suppose right now, I, I was hoping I could even get to a scenario of this, but we don't have the time for it, but here's a football co- coach pro football team, the last game of the season or whatever it may be, and, and there's the quarterback and the team, they're all listening to this coach's pep talk. And suppose you and I are, are watching it on TV and listening to that pep talk, and it's exciting. You see that coach shouting, and, and we're excited just to be able to listen into that coach's pep talk. And, and, and over here, while they're listening, the quarterbacks and the linebackers, all they're hearing the message, and, and they're saying, they're listening to the coach, and they're starting to flex their muscles. They're excited. Pictures are in their mind as the coach is speaking to them. You and I are getting excited too. But the big difference is what happens after the message is over. We get up and we put a little handful of peanuts in our mouth and say, boy, that was a good message. Really like what that coach said. He's a great coach. What's the football players do? They run out on the field <laughs> and they start playing. They're hearing. 
differently. Hebrews, I'm sorry, Matthew 13, starting with verse 9. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And verse 10, this is interesting. The disciples came and said unto Jesus, why are you speaking to them in parables? I, I can kind of picture the disciples. First of all, they didn't want to say they didn't quite understand it exactly, but they're, they're thinking, they're seeing people out there scratching their head about the things Jesus is saying. Now, when I grew up, I thought Jesus spoke in parables so that people could understand things better. That's not what Jesus says. He wasn't just giving them nice illustrations. Listen to what Jesus says. The disciples ask in verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? What is Jesus' answer? Verse 11, Jesus answered and said unto them, because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. In other words, and if you read on down, it's clear that Jesus spoke in parables so people wouldn't understand unless they really wanted to. Did you catch that? Because the more you know, the more you're accountable for. In God's mercy, he holds things from us sometimes until we show him we really want to learn. We really want to know. The disciples were of a different sort. See, they followed Jesus. And if you read in Mark and other Gospels, you can see that the disciples were intent. They went to Jesus and they said, tell us what this means. Lord, speak to us. Explain what these words are. And Jesus, he didn't tell the, he didn't give the explanation to the multitudes. He gave it to those who asked. Those who were willing to do it. There, were, there was a time when Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was talking about his crucifixion. He was talking about picking up your cross and following. And he actually foretold. In fact, on several incidences, Jesus foretold his crucifixion, his suffering on the cross, and his resurrection three days later. He told that to the disciples. Look at, look at Luke 9, verse 44. I just, I just want you to see this one verse. We've got to finish up here. But Luke 9, and verse 44, <clears throat> Luke 9 and verse 44 Um, Jesus speaks like this to the disciples. He says, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Then verse 45, look what happened. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of the saying. Why do you think they were afraid to ask? Because he told them they had to pick up the cross too, didn't he? (laughs) The miracles were wonderful. Signs and healings, that was great. But to pick up our cross? Uh, We'll ask you about that on another day, Lord. Right now, we don't really want to know what that's all about. Don't tell us anymore, you see. Now I want to finish with these verses in Luke chapter 24. And I think this, in a way brings us right to the table we're going to have where the bread is broken and the cup is served. We remember what Christ did for us. 
And I want to believe that what took place in Luke 24 can happen to us as we partake of the Lord's table today. Because Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him, remembering what he did for us, remembering it was his body that was broken, remembering that it was his blood that was shed. In Luke 24, we see another situation where disciples have a unique experience. These are not the 12. These are two other disciples, and they're on a road to Emmaus. And if you look there in verse 16, Luke 24 and verse 16, these disciples are there. They're walking. They're sad. They're discussing things. And what it says here in verse 16 is that Jesus, or verse 15, actually, that Jesus came and drew near to them. But look at verse 16. It says, the eyes of these disciples, they were withholding. They couldn't recognize him. I don't know how that could actually happen. Their eyes were covered. It was like they couldn't. Here's Jesus standing right next to them, talking with them. In fact, Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? What's, why are you so sad? And these, these two disciples say, well, are you, they're talking to Jesus. Imagine this. They say, they didn't know his name. They said, are you a stranger? And you don't know what's taking place about Jesus, how he died. And we thought he was going to be the Messiah and he's not here anymore. Are you a stranger? Don't you know about these things? (laughs) And then Jesus does something very unique. In verse 27, Jesus begins to give them a Bible study of all Bible studies. Oh, I would have loved to hear this one. And yet these two disciples still didn't recognize Jesus. He begins to speak to them. This is verse 27 now. And it says that Jesus began at Moses and the prophets, and he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. <laughs> and yet they still didn't know who he was. He, was giving, he gave them this awesome Bible on this journey, on this road. He's given them an entire Bible study all about how he... The Messiah needed to come and suffer. It would have been an awesome study. To hear. I would have loved to have been on that road listening to it. In fact, later on, after the events that we'll read about occurred, these disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us? Haven't you felt that when God speaks a living word to you? Don't you feel something burning inside? Because it's alive. So Jesus gives this Bible study to them. And, and, and then verse 28, they still don't know who he is. But they drew nigh unto the village, that would have been Emmaus, whether they went. And look at this. Jesus acted, or he, he pretended, as though he would have gone further. He would have just kept right on walking. It's interesting how the Lord is. He's never the uninvited guest, is he? We need to call on him, ask him. Some people say, well, he knows my name and number and address. He can give me a phone call when he wants to. No, he's never the uninvited guest. In fact, if you read in the Gospel of Mark, remember when the disciples were in the boat and it was sinking and it was full of water? Here comes Jesus walking on the water. It says he was going to walk right past them. (laughs) But they cried out and he stopped. Well, here it says he would have gone further. But in verse 29, it says they constrained him. In the NIV, it says they urged him strongly to go into the city with them. And then if you read on down, they sat down to eat in the house that night. And it says that Jesus took bread and broke it. In verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And what happened immediately after 
they saw him break the bread. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. This book is full of parables. A lot of wise men, intellectual people have tried to figure it out. Doesn't work, does it? It's hidden until we surrender fully to him. And then this book becomes a book of life. Is that awesome? We want to partake of the Lord's table today. And I want you to see today, I want you to see Jesus breaking the bread for us. The men who are doing the communion for us. This is a celebration. It's a remembering of what Christ did for us. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, Paul received this by revelation. He wasn't even there that night, but he said by, he received it by revelation that this is something we should do as a church. And that same night, he, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And I, I want to believe today that as we partake of this bread and this cup, that somehow, in a brand new way, a fresh way, as a church and as individuals, our eyes, our ears, will be opened to see and behold the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a celebration of what Christ has already done for us. Take the bread and and just hold it for a moment. Once you receive it, hold it just for a moment and let the Holy Spirit breathe upon those words of life. Let the Holy Spirit breathe fresh life from the word inside of you. Maybe that word will be a word of healing. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Let that fresh breath come. That it wouldn't just be words on paper, it would be a living word. And that word never returns void. It never returns without accomplishing and prospering for the purpose that God sent it. Let that word come. See Jesus breaking the bread, his body for you and me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today, Lord. Thank you for sending that living word for us. That word that took on flesh and blood and then went to the cross to be crucified, broken, poured out, broken bread and poured out wine for us. Thank you for that living word, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord. I, I just believe today, somehow, in my heart, I believe, Lord, that there's an opening of the eyes and an opening of the ears today available and taking place in the lives and our lives as we are celebrating the Lord's table today. We want to know you, Lord. We want our ears to be tuned in to what you're speaking, to us as individuals, to us as a church, as a church family. We want to get our ears accustomed to hearing that living voice. So when that trumpet sounds, when that voice and shout, the rapture takes place, that we'll hear it, we'll be ready, and we'll go. 
Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for each person here, Lord. You know the needs. And just like you fed the multitude with just a few loaves and a few fish, I believe today you've taken these few words and you're feeding the deep desires that each one of us has here, Lord. I thank you for doing it. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for your interest in the Dover Foursquare Church. My prayer wish is that you have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is our desire that our preaching and leading the congregation will always be word-centered and applicable to life. It is our desire that our worship be the pathway unto further transformation into the likeness of Jesus. With everything we do, our prayer is that we will rest in God's love and Christ's mighty work on the cross. We are blessed with a loving pastoral staff. Chris and Anna Ewing are pastors of our youth ministries. David and Marietta Slentz are pastors of our children's ministries. Our staff is eager to relate truth to life. All of the ministries interrelate, and we desire to give place to the flow of God's grace at all times. Our church address is 302 East Slingluff Avenue, Dover, Ohio. And our church phone number is 330-343-6142. Our website address is www.doverfoursquare.org.